So let's get into the word today. We're going to open up to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Chapter 7 is where we left off. Actually, actually, chapter 8, because you know what, we, we covered 7 good. But I just want to go to chapter 8, where we left off when Saul was persecuting the church. Last week we talked about Stephen and the message that changed the world. A sermon that was worth dying for, and a sermon that's almost never preached out of <laughs> these days. It's worth dying for, but we almost never preach out of it, because to our Gentile minds, maybe sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I hope that last week we gained some context of why it was so important. And this is the message that changed Saul. But you know, when people change, they don't always change for the better at first. We'd like to think they would. You know that... Uh, it takes a lot of years to get stuff. And sometimes it takes something pretty massive to get you out. Saul was pretty stuck. And uh, when the Holy Spirit starts rattling his world, getting him unstuck, he got angry. I've seen this plenty of times. I'm sure you have too. Maybe this is your story. When God starts rattling and shaking some things to, to set you free from the chains that have kept you, sometimes you don't want to be shook, shake, shook. That's the word. You don't want that to happen. You want to be you want to be comfortable. You, wanna, you, want, you don't want to look back and say, I've wasted 10 years of my life. Nobody wants that. But you know God can redeem the time that you wasted. So don't, uh, you know, Vegas, when someone goes to Vegas, they have something called the sunken cost fallacy, which means that a gambling addict will keep putting down money because of all the money they've lost. I can't walk away because if I walk away now, I'm a loser. So I got to keep doubling down so hopefully I can win my money back. How many of you know that's how the house wins? That's how gambling addicts are born. Because it's a lie. They wouldn't be, these, these casinos wouldn't stay in business if everybody won, right? They have to create losers to be in business. And the enemy is the same way. He'll tell, I mean, he told the Pharisees, listen, you sunk all your life into this. This man's coming along telling you you're wrong. If you believe him then you're going to have to go and admit that I've been preaching the wrong thing for 10 years or I've been, I've been spending my life in vain. And, and that's very difficult on our ego and our pride. For Saul, it was very difficult. He kicked against God. He kicked against the Holy Spirit's prodding. But thank God, God is not a, 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 a snowflake. He's not a, a, a paper tiger. He doesn't just draw back the first time we kick back. He is so good and he is so faithful and so persistent that he got a hold of Saul and he knocked him down on the road one day and revealed himself and said, I'm Jesus who you've been persecuting. Here's where we leave off in chapter 8. Before Saul is converted, before that meeting, he's persecuting the church violently. And the church in Jerusalem, which is a massive church with all the apostles, can you imagine if your church... You show up on a Sunday morning and you don't know if Peter's going to preach or John or James. or you, I mean, you could have like any of the 12 disciples, the original 12 apostles, could be speaking this morning. That'd be exciting, hey? That, that'd be exciting. Would you want to go to another town? You'd want to stay in Jerusalem. The church is booming. It's growing by thousands. I don't want to leave. Jesus had told them, you got to preach this gospel here in Jerusalem and Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But nobody wants to leave. Because the water is too nice. Church is, church is fun. We don't want to leave. So they didn't leave until persecution shook them out. 
and something happens, they're scattered. And this is what it says in Acts 8, verse 4. It says, therefore, those who'd been scattered went about preaching the word. That's what happens to spirit-filled people who are surrendered to the Lord. No matter what happens in their life, they're going to revert to what they should do, what they know, which is, i got to preach the gospel. No matter if I get scattered or if I stay, this, stay right here in Jerusalem, I know my mission is to spread this gospel. So when they were scattered, they went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And it says the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. You guys remember who Philip was? Philip was not an apostle. Philip wasn't one of the original disciples. Philip was somebody that got saved at some point in the journey who was part of the Greek-speaking Jews that were chosen to take care of the widows and the orphans. His job wasn't to preach. It was to make sure people got fed. But now that they've all been scattered, you know, your, your official title may not be preacher, but we've all been called to preach the gospel. Every single one of us, we proclaim it in our own way. You may never proclaim it with a microphone, or you may. It, it, that's not the point. God doesn't need a microphone to get the gospel out. Some of you have the biggest microphone of anyone in the church, and you don't even know it's a microphone. You don't even know it's the megaphone that God gave you. You have people right in front of you ready to listen, ready to watch your life and see the results of the resurrection. So Philip went preaching the word. And it says that he was proclaiming Christ to them, and the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many had, who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Remember, this is a city that the apostles weren't visiting. These are the Samaritans. The last time we've had an encounter with these people is when they said, Jesus can't stay at our village because if you're going to Jerusalem, you can't stay with us. And James and John said, shall we call down fire on these losers? Shall we call down fire on these kids? Let's, let's smite them. I've heard the word smite. I, I don't hear Jesus. I don't hear you using the word smite enough. Can we smite them with fire? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man came to save the world, not to condemn it. So here... Why is it taking so long for somebody to go preach to these guys? Finally, somebody does. And it's not one of the people you think is going to go. Philip goes and he preaches the gospel. Signs and wonders are taking place. One thing he forgets, he forgets to tell them about the Holy Spirit. He's obviously full of the Holy Spirit because that was one of the qualifications that the apostles said for these, one, these seven that you're going to pick to feed the, uh, the, the, the widows and the orphans. One of the qualifications... In fact, there were two qualifications. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And, you know, in order to be full of wisdom, you need the Holy Spirit, right? He is the spirit of wisdom. And so we know one thing. Philip was full of the Spirit, but he forgot to tell people that they needed the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John come down. They see what he's doing. They come to a Samaritan town, which they were bred and raised to treat kind of like at an arm's length. These, I mean, there was a lot of racism going on between these two groups of people. They didn't like each other. And the Jews considered the Samaritans kind of a cult. And they were. 
So they had taken uh, the gospel, they had taken the Bible and added their own stuff to it. And uh, over time, living away from the, the, the people of Israel, because the Samaritans were part of Israel to begin with. This was the northern kingdom. But their belief system had gotten so off base that it was almost unrecognizable at times. They still they believed there was a God. They believed in some of the stories of the patriarchs, but they had mixed their religion with some other things. And so that's why the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, well, we worship at this mountain. You guys worship at that mountain. Because how many of you know when we let religion take over at, without God, then we just start arguing about mountains rather than the real issues. And so they said, she said, well, we worship at this mountain. You guys say you're supposed to worship at this mountain. And Jesus says, well, I mean, the Pharisees, he says the Jews are right, first of all. But then he says, but there's a day coming when those that worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. They won't just be right in knowledge or in the facts. They'll, they'll worship me in spirit. So Philip has come to these people, and there's signs and wonders. Peter and John come, and they recognize that God's at work. So they put their, you know, the apostles put their stamp on it and go, this is God. We need to support this. And then they tell them, listen, we need to pray for you. We need to lay hands on you so that you all receive the Holy Spirit, the baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then they go back, and the Bible tells us on their way home, the apostles stop at every village of the Samaritans on the way home. This changed them. They weren't preaching to Samaritans until they saw God moving. And they said, this is, a, this is a move of God. We should get on board with this. Thank God their ego didn't get in the way. Thank God they didn't say, well, if it wasn't us that started it, it's not real. No, they saw God move. And so they, they got on board and they, they stopped at every village of the Samaritans on the way home. But it says this. This is where Philip is. The apostles are on their way back to Jerusalem, but Philip's not going back. It says, and, and go just down a few verses. Verse 25, so when they solemnly testified and spoke in the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. This is a road you probably don't want to be on. This is a road you don't just want to wander at night. Just get up and go. How many of you are like me, and you'd be waiting for the rest of the message? Get up and go and do what? Get up and go how far? What if I said, go to the road that, where it leads from Lloydminster to, to uh, well, I mean, I can say Edmonton, but that's not really a desert road, is it? But just imagine that, that God gave you this, you know, all right, take the road all, all the way to Carrot Lake, and, uh, <laughs> and just start journeying down that road. Well, how far? When do I stop? When? You know, what do I need to pack? How much fuel do I need? God just tells him, go. This is a desert place. Verse 27. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. I want you to hear something because when Philip got the first message, he got it with an angel. Now everybody in this room, I could, I could pretty much believe everybody in this room, if an angel appeared to you, you'd take it seriously. Right? If an angel stood in front of you and said, this is what's happening, you'd be like, well, maybe I should listen. But you can't rely on an angel every time. 
An angel told him to start walking, but it was the Spirit of God that told him to catch the chariot. Now, the Spirit of God is, is our ever-present witness. It's our ever-present connection to the Lord. It's, it, the, Jesus said, when I give you the Holy Spirit, everything that the Spirit hears from the Father and I, He will disclose to you. Can you believe that? So it's the Holy Spirit that tells us what God wants and, and what we're meant to do. The Holy Spirit, we talked about heaven touching earth. Well, the Spirit of God is the way that that, that takes place. That's why Jesus said, you need me to go. And his disciples said, no, we love you here. We want you to stay. And he goes, it's good for you if I go away. You guys are crying about it. You're sad because you, you'll miss me and you know me. But if I go, I'll send my spirit, the helper. And you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one part of the Trinity that's on the earth. We honor the Father. We worship the Son, but it's the Holy Spirit. That enables you, empowers you, leads you, guides you, teaches you. It's the Holy Spirit that's, that's moving amongst this church right now. Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. The Father, Jesus, they're up there. Now, is Jesus active in the church? Does Jesus appear to people still? Yes, he does. Jesus, the Bible says in Revelation 1, he walks amongst the lampstands of the church. So we know that he doesn't just stay there. But the Bible tells us that Jesus told us that the helper that's going to lead and guide you and walk with you is the Holy Spirit. That's your connection to Jesus. This is why we all need to be led. Philip had the luxury of an angel telling him to start walking, but he had the Holy Spirit tell him to start running. And it was the Holy Spirit that said, go and catch a chariot. Now, this is a rich guy. Not Philip, the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's in charge of all the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. So imagine today a limo is driving by. And the Lord says, run, catch that limo. How many of you would go, sure, Lord. <laughs> and how many of you would say, Lord, if it's you, show me another sign, quick. Give them a flat tire. Uh, tell them to roll down their window. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Send SOS in the, re in the traffic lights. Do something so I know that I'm not crazy. Go and catch this chariot. And once again, the Spirit of God, listen, doesn't tell him what to do when he catches it. You ever see a dog chasing a truck? They just chase the truck. Never occurred to them what they do if they caught one. What will I do if I catch the truck? I don't know. I have to catch it. I have to run after it. If you're anything like me, that's not enough information. Tell me what to do when I get there. I would be saying, Lord, all right, I'm going to have a prayer meeting now. Now i got to spend some time in prayer. I need to fast and pray, figure out what I need to do when I get to the chariot. The problem is by the time you're done, the chariot's gone. This is why you need to fast and pray before. That's why you don't just pray when you need something. That's why you have a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of reading the word. Because, you know, it's like the old song said, it didn't, it, you know, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. You don't start building the ark when it starts raining. You don't start fixing your roof when the storm comes. And in the same sense, there's a, there's a preparation for us to, to be in the spirit, to be full of the spirit. And so Philip goes and he catches the chariot. He runs up. It tells us here in verse 31. Sorry, verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading? 
You say, well, how could I unless someone guides me? Wow, isn't that nice? How could I? Hint, hint, wink, nudge. Unless someone guides me. Now, that really would have helped me, friends. That would have helped me if I ran up, and I don't know what I'm going to find when I run up to the chariot, and I find this guy reading aloud the book of Isaiah. Okay, this is right. Do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Those of you who have been with us, you were there on Good Friday. You'll know this is Isaiah 53. This is the chapter in the Old Testament that describes in detail what the Messiah would suffer for us. It's one of the chapters that would so often get skipped. We read it a lot, yeah? Because as Christians, we go, it's talking about Jesus. Man, it's talking about the cross. You go verse by verse, it's so clear. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our transgressions. We looked at him. Like Isaiah 53 says, we looked at him and thought he was afflicted by God. We saw him, his face disfigured. We figured he must have done something wrong. But he was actually bruised for us. He was pierced for us. He was crushed for us. And that chapter so lays out what Jesus was going to do on the cross for people. But it's off, it was often skipped. Because they didn't understand. And how does it relate to the Messiah? Remember the struggle that Jesus is encountering when he's risen from the dead. The struggle over and over again is that he's got people that don't believe like, what the real stumbling block for them is not that he was the Messiah, but that the Messiah would have to suffer. They didn't get that. That was tough for them. That's why on the road to Emmaus, he has to open the scripture and show them, didn't you know the Messiah was going to have to suffer? That's why the angel said, don't you know that the scripture says he was going to have to suffer? That's why when, when the apostles in Acts chapter 4 said, Lord, it was your plan that Jesus would have to do that. It's because they were taught all their life the Messiah was going to show up like Arnold Schwarzenegger and kick butt. And so it really threw them for a loop when he was hung on a cross. Because the Bible tells us cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. They always imagined the Messiah would be a blessing. They didn't imagine he had to become a curse in order to be a blessing. It's a struggle for them. Paul said that the cross is the shame. It's a shameful thing for those people. They saw it and said there could be no way our Messiah would do that. So Isaiah 53 is an inconvenient chapter if you apply it to the Messiah. But something is already happening in this chariot. See, here's what I'm hoping you get from today. Is that the Holy Spirit is the greatest soul winner. And we can't do it without him. That the Holy Spirit loves people more than you do. And the Holy Spirit will win them every single time. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. will put you in the right place. will will empower you to do it. You can't, you can't win people to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You know, we uh, grew up, and, and, and this is a Christian phrase that maybe you've heard. You heard the word soul winner. Soul winner, right? See, growing up as a Christian, that was an awesome phrase. I love that phrase. Soul winner. I'm a soul winner. But I imagine if I came out off the street and didn't know any of this church stuff, and someone says, we're going to go win souls, I might be freaked out by that. Win souls how? 
It's like one of those games where we, like, put our cards down, and if you win, you take my soul. Like, I don't, are we gambling for souls now? This is a devil came down to Georgia moment. What's going on here, winning souls? But what we're talking about is, is and Jesus talked about this. He talked about you've won them if you've done this. And, and uh, even Proverbs says he who wins souls is wise, although that wasn't talking about evangelism. They didn't have the gospel yet. But it is the idea of winning someone over, of, 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 of there being a convincing, a, a changing, a shifting. And you're not winning them to the church, you're not winning them to yourself, but Jesus himself, the Lord is winning them to him. He's, he's, he's bringing them and reconciling them back. And the Bible says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That God is all about reconciliation and restoration. And he gave us his ministry and says, go reconcile the world to me. The world is far from me. They're separated. They're dying. And I'm life. Go get them back. Because that's what we're doing. But you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Philip was full of the Holy Spirit. That's why this worked. Remember, guys, it doesn't matter if an angel showed up. If he didn't, wasn't full of the Spirit, he wouldn't have known what to do when he got there. The Holy Spirit is the soul winner. The Holy Spirit is the one. So this is why it's funny when we're embarrassed at the Holy Spirit. And we're embarrassed that maybe the Holy Spirit will say or do something that freaks our friends out. Listen, the Holy Spirit is, is always, always going to bring people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit is always going to bring glory to God. Don't be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Don't be ashamed of what he does. Don't be ashamed of what he tells you to do. And don't, tell, don't call everything, every weird thing you do the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we do weird things. And we go, I missed it. And it's okay to say, I missed it. Philip didn't miss it, though. But he finds himself at the chariot, and the Holy Spirit's already begun to work on this man. Do you know that the Holy Spirit uses God's word? The Spirit and the word walk together hand in glove. And so the Spirit of God's already begun to use the word of God to prepare this man's heart. And he's reading his Bible, and he's going, he's going, this is, this is something I've not been taught, something I don't understand. Remember, he's an Ethiopian. What in the world is he doing going to Jerusalem? He's been converted. He's somebody that's, that's been converted to the Judaism. He starts to believe there is a Messiah. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship, but he doesn't know about Jesus yet. So the Holy Spirit brings him to a chapter that is explicitly about Jesus and is pretty hard to understand without him. And he says, how will I know what this means unless someone guides me? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus. Beginning from that scripture. I want you to see a key here. Number one, first thing you need to learn is you need to be full of the spirit before you think you need the spirit. Right? Be full before you think you need it. You don't start on a trip and wait till you run out of gas to put gas in your car. Right? When you start a trip, what do you do? You fill up. You fill up so you never run dry. Well, the Holy Spirit's not like a gas tank. You don't have to go somewhere to fill up. You can always stay full of the Spirit. And one of the ways we stay full, the Bible tells us, is by encouraging one another, singing to one another, admonishing each other. Being here this morning is helping you stay full of the Holy Spirit. What you choose to do Monday is going to help you stay full of the Holy Spirit. So here we go. Well, I need the Holy Spirit, so the, be full of the Holy Spirit. Secondly... The Holy Spirit needs to tell me where to go. 
I need to know where to go. Now, I've got my routines. I've got my job. I've got all these things. Praise the Lord. God will use that. But there are times where the Holy Spirit will say, stop. And there's times where the Holy Spirit will say, wait. And there's times where the Holy Spirit will say, hurry and go. And you need to be able to hear that and, 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 and not be so freaked out that you think it's always just you going crazy. Start to obey the Lord in the little things. Can God teach you how to listen to his voice at a traffic light? Sure he can. Why not? Why couldn't he use that to train you? Why, why couldn't he use you in, in your garden to train you how to listen? Right? You just think it's always got to be these high stakes moments, but is that how you train your kid? Do you wait until they run into the street to teach them how to listen to your voice? No, you train them. You teach them. You, how do they know your voice? They spend time with you. So here, you need to know where the Holy Spirit tells you to go. Now, I need to know what to say. Because so far, Philip, God's told him where to go. God told him what to do. Now he needs to know what to say. Good news. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit in that hour will teach you the words to say. Now, here's where we struggle. That phrase, in that hour. No, 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 no. Teach me ahead of time, Lord. Ahead of time, Lord. I need some prep time. Pastor Jonathan might be able to do the in the hour. This person might do in the hour. But I need prep time, Lord. You know this about me. In these arguments, if you've argued with God about this, you're not alone. Moses argued with God about this too. Don't use me, Lord. I stutter. Don't use me, Lord. I'm not a good speaker. And do you know what? Moses didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. So God gave him a, a, God gave him a little help. God said, okay, your brother will be your mouthpiece. Can you imagine feeling like a big boy going to talk to Pharaoh? And Pharaoh says, hello, Moses, what do you have to say? And you go, my brother is going to say something. <laughs> God used it. But you don't always have the luxury of turning to your brother. Now you have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said he's going to teach you what to say. In fact, he says he's going to give you utterance. There's a, there's a phrase in my Bible, a word called utterance. And it's, it, there's different words that get translated that way. But basically what it means is that God will give you what to say when you need it. Now, Jesus in Mark chapter 16, sorry, John, John 16, Jesus says that the Spirit will bring to remembrance all that I've taught you. So what my parents always said is they said, you know, Jonathan, when you're going to take a test at school, the Holy Spirit will help you. But the Holy Spirit's not going to cheat for you. So study. Right? You can't just go, well, I don't need to study. Holy Spirit, tell me the answers. No, you need to study. But the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, I've known stories of people that didn't know to study a certain thing. I mean, uh, I'm thinking of Ben Carson's story. If I remembered it correctly, I'd quote it to you right now. Dr. Ben Carson talked about, I mean, a world-renowned neurosurgeon. And he talked about how he got through school. And he just prayed. And God, like, like he was not equipped to know the answers. He wasn't the type that learned that way. And the Spirit of God helped him through that whole thing, showed him how to take the test. I mean, that was a mighty thing. But here's the, here's the point. When you store up the word of God, and when you listen and you let the words of Jesus sink into you, the Holy Spirit will bring them up when you need them. Because he is the spirit of wisdom. And he's the spirit of utterance. See, knowledge is what you know, but wisdom is knowing how to use it. Wisdom is understanding how to use that knowledge. And friends, that's what we need the spirit of God for. 
I know a lot of people that know a lot of Bible facts. They have no clue how to put it into action. They don't really know when to talk about it, when to apply it. I just have this information rattling in my head. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. Because honestly, even if you are very wise, even if you've got good plans, you may not know what's going on in that person's heart. Watch what happens. This man is reading a specific passage of the Bible. Philip, beginning with that passage, preaches Jesus. See, Philip doesn't try to change what the Holy Spirit's already doing. He recognizes the Holy Spirit's already working. Let me get on board with that. So many times we go, well, let me just start with my, no, no, this is how I was taught to preach the gospel. Okay, close your book of Isaiah. <laughs> I'm going to start with this. And we just go like a script, like we're selling a vacuum cleaner. Do you know, how many of you know that tracks are helpful, actually? Being taught how to share the gospel is helpful, Right? Being shown how to present the gospel in a, in a, in a, a clear and, and, and powerful way is very helpful, and I think everybody should do it. But don't be chained to the script. Because you're not a salesman. If you're trying to sell someone to the Holy Spirit, you're going to lose. People aren't products. People aren't consumers. People are, creation, are creatures that Jesus died for and gave his life for. And he knows him intimately. You can't treat him like a star on your chart. You can't treat him like a stat on the back of your Jesus baseball card. You have got to treat people like people. You've got to listen to them. You've got to love on them. You've got to be truthful with them. You've got to talk like you'd want to be talked to. And I don't know about you, but anytime someone shows up at my door trying to sell something, I'm already turned off to it. But if someone showed up at my door with the love of God, really wanting to be God's instrument for me, I think I'd be different. Philip didn't try to get the Ethiopian on his script. He said, what's God already saying? I got all that. Starting with that scripture, preach Jesus. Well, that's a good scripture to start from, right? Do you notice as we've been going through the book of Acts, they all did the same thing. They all preached Jesus, Right? God will use the miracles, God will use the signs, God will use all these things. But at the end of the day, here's what we need to preach. We need to preach Jesus. And that's, and so ultimately, that's the power of God. You preach Jesus. It's the message of the cross. It's the power of God to salvation. It's this, this is the message. This is what leads someone to the Lord. Is you, you, you talk about the, the Savior. I mean, I'm thinking about how many times I've had someone say to me, well, what about this person? Or, what about the Crusades? Or what about people 200 years ago that did this? I, and, my honest answer is this. I don't even know if those people were saved. And in some cases, what you're describing, I can definitely tell you a Christian wouldn't do that. A follower of Jesus wouldn't do that. Good thing I'm not asking you to accept them as your Lord and Savior. I'm telling you about Jesus. Would Jesus do that? No. Good. Now we're on the same page. Because he's the one I'm talking about. There's a whole lot of people that use God's name to do terrible things. And, and the, Jesus told us what will happen. He said, someday I'm going to look at him and say, get out of my presence. I didn't know you. You may have said you did that in my name, but it wasn't me. I never knew you. Get out of there. So I don't preach them. I preach Jesus. If you spend two hours trying to justify what someone 200 years ago did, you'll, you'll lose the battle from the start. Will we just talk about the Savior? Because he's here. And the Holy Spirit is there. On that message, watch it says, and Philip opened his mouth. That's a curious thing to say. Of course he did. How else would you talk? 
are there, Mr. Ethiopian eunuch? They've been talking already, so why does it say in the middle of the conversation they don't want to talk? Curiously enough, why does it say the same thing when Peter is preaching to Cornelius? He's already talking to him, he's already in his house, and then it says right in the middle, then Peter opened his mouth and began to speak. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I genuinely believe that's there for a reason. Because it's showing you that he opened his mouth and the Lord gave him the words to say. In fact, the Lord gave him utterance. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 6. He asks us, to, he asks the saints to pray this. He says, pray for me that God would give me utterance in the opening of my mouth. That I would speak his word freely and boldly as it ought to be spoken. Pray that he give me utterance when I open my mouth. That's a, that's a big key is opening your mouth. Now, I'm not telling you to go up to somebody and go, God, I'm going to fill my mouth yet. Like, that doesn't work that way. What he's saying is like, just trust God. Right now, you're going to give me something to say. Lord, all you've given me is one sentence. Then say that sentence. Let the next one come. Then the next one comes. Have you ever had a conversation and go, man, that was wise. I wish I was recording. I needed to hear that. Where did that wisdom come from? I'm not that smart. I think about that all the time when I preach. I need to go back and listen. How did I, what did, where'd that come from? What's the Holy Spirit? He's smarter than you. This is good. Right? So Philip goes, I, Philip could preach this because of his own knowledge, but it was the Spirit of God that showed him how to, how to use that knowledge. Here's what you need to say. What did Jesus say in that hour? The Spirit of God will give you utterance. And wisdom that nobody will be able to refute. Do you know what literally it says in the Greek when Jesus says that? It says the Holy Spirit will give you a mouth. That's what it literally says. The Holy Spirit will give you a mouth. If anybody in this room says, I am not a good talker. That's why I don't tell people about Jesus. That's why I just try to live a good life and hope people notice. I hear you. If I could use that excuse, I would too. <laughs> but you got to preach the gospel. Let your life preach the gospel. Absolutely. If your life doesn't line up with what you're saying, people won't believe that. I wouldn't believe that. Let God use your life to preach the gospel. But remember, it says, how will they believe if they've not heard? How will they hear if there's not a preacher? And that preacher isn't the pastor that has a salary, that, you know, that it's his job to preach. It's every believer's job to preach. You may not get up on the this platform and preach a sermon. It may not be that, but you all have a good news to share. Because the Holy Spirit is the preacher. He's the one that teaches you what to say in that hour. He'll bring to remembrance what you've learned. He'll bring to remembrance that thing you were reading in, this, in the word that you didn't think had any relevance. Or, or that message that you heard preached that you said, how will I ever apply that? And the Holy Spirit will bring it to you in that moment. You go, I know what to say. But we'd all like to download an hour ahead of time. We'd all like to be able to make a voice memo and play it back or to write it down. But Jesus said, in that hour, in that moment, I'll teach you what to say. Can you imagine the Spirit of God standing next to you and saying, you tell them this. Even that is not as cool as what's really happening. Because even that would be a delay. But when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, He's, he's causing that fountain to come out of you. As you're speaking, what a powerful, wonderful promise. 
Then he goes on. Beginning from that scripture. Starting with where the, the Spirit led him. He went from there. Always pick up on what the Holy Spirit's doing. Always go from where the Holy Spirit's already been working. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to start over. What's God already saying? Because every heart that you ever encounter is a heart God's already preparing. So he said, the eunuch said, as soon as they came to some water, the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Remember, he started on the journey to uh, Jerusalem looking for the Messiah. And now he's found out that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that Jesus the Messiah, that's what Christ means. Christos is the Greek word for Messiah. Jesus the Messiah is the Son of God. Why is that so powerful? How many people that we preach to actually come to this point where they are convinced, not that Jesus is a, is a good t preacher, a good man, or that God has a plan for you and he wants to turn your life around, but ultimately, this is the core, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. This is key. It's not enough to believe Jesus was a good man. It's not enough to believe that Jesus loves you. That's wonderful, but it's not enough. You have to know that he's the son of God and that he died and he rose again and he's alive today. And it's that belief that saves us. Because belief in a good man won't get you anywhere, but belief in a living Savior, that'll, that'll save you. And you call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. He says, I believe it. Verse 38. And they ordered the chariot to stop and both went down into the water. Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I love it. We've talked about it plenty of times, so I won't belabor the point. But I used to think that Philip was taken up so that God saved him the trip home. But the truth is that God dropped him off like really far from home. <laughs> Philip doesn't go, God, it's a terrible prank and I want you to put me back. Put me back right now. He just says, okay, where am I? They ask somebody, hey, where am I? They tell him. He says, okay, every city till I get to Caesarea, I'm going to preach the gospel. This guy's default mode is preach the gospel. He doesn't need a word from the Lord to preach the gospel. He needed a word from the Lord to know where to go. But he didn't need a special word from God to preach the gospel. How many? You don't need a prophecy to tell you to preach the gospel. You don't need somebody, a powerful message telling you to preach the gospel. You need to know that's default mode. Well, there's different ways to do it, right? There are people that you're ministering to that God has put you in their life. And it's a longer process than some. You've told them what you believe, they know what you believe, but you're still working with them and they still haven't come over your side. They still haven't really believed and it's, just, it's, a, it's a process of just steadily showing who Jesus is. Steadily, steadily being an example, steadily preaching at the moments that God tells you to preach. Now what do I mean by preach? Does it mean you stand on a, a crate and you go, listen, hear ye, hear ye. Or does it just mean 
Letting the words of the Lord, letting the Spirit of God give you words right now. See, you're, you're preaching sermons, you don't even know they're sermons. You're preaching messages, you don't know you're preaching. But what God is doing is he, is, he says, open your mouth and I'll fill it. Open your mouth and I'll fill it. Philip opened his mouth, he had to trust God. You have to put yourself in positions where you say, Lord, if you're not with me, I'm going to look like an idiot. But if you're with me, this will work. You can never put yourself in that risk. You can never put yourself in that position to fail. You've already failed. Put yourself in a position where you need him. And I want to tell you, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said, the Holy Spirit will always be with you. So you don't have to ask, Spirit, are you here? Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is your pledge of adoption. That means he's your promise, your guarantee. It's the Spirit of God that tells you that you are a child of God. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not coming and going. This is not the Old Testament where David said, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. This is the New Testament where the Spirit of God is not resting on you only. He is dwelling in you. Does he rest on his church? Yes, he does. Does he come in power? Yes, he does. But he dwells in you. He abides in you. Are you full? Are you willing? You, you all, I mean, if you've been here for any period of time, you've heard me preach out of this chapter and talk about how as a teenager, I was like so jealous of Philip. Because all he had to do was walk up. Like for me, I just skipped to the part where the guy goes, I'm reading the word right now. If only someone would explain it to me. Philip's like, hey, here I am. Can I explain that to you? Why, yes, good sir. That's exactly what I was hoping for. And I would say to God, if it were that easy, I'd be doing it all the time. People were just in Arby's going, hmm, he was bruised for our transgressions. He was pierced for our iniquity. Who's this talking about? If only there were someone to guide me. Then, yeah, I would do that. Look, friend, there's some water. Is there any reason I can't be baptized? Matter of fact, I don't think there is. Let's baptize you right now. If it were that easy, I'd be baptizing so many people in mud puddles or whatever was there. But you don't, you don't, to get there, you have to start with God telling him to walk down a long, deserted road with no idea where he was going or how long he'd be there. And once he gets there, hear the spirit, not an angel this time, not somebody that he can see, but an inner witness saying, run. Run and do what? Run and catch that rich-looking chariot with bodyguards that could stick you with one of those sharp spears that they're carrying. What do I do when I get there? I'll let you know. See, we all think it was easy, but you have to put yourselves in positions for it to be easy. You have to do the hard thing, which is like trusting God and making it awkward. And I've said this before, I believe that God calls introverts and extroverts into his family. God calls quiet people and loud people. Right? We all love each other, yeah? <laughs> you loud people are working to get us quiet people out of our comfort zone. And us quiet people are asking you to make the zone a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> and we all love each other. There may be introverts and extroverts, but there's no shyness in the kingdom of God. If you're shy, I want to challenge you today to stop calling yourself out. Because the Bible says the wicked run away when no one's chasing them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. 
You're not shy, you're bold. You can be quiet and bold. And you can be quiet and bold and know when it's time to lift your voice. And you can be loud and know when it's time to get quiet. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. And God needs all types, right? He needs all types. God created you a certain way for a certain reason. But don't let your flesh and your own personality get in the way of what God wants to do for you. Sometimes God just loves to take somebody that is naturally this way and just like, watch what I do when I totally flip that on its head. And he took the uneducated hillbilly country bumpkins in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 3, and caused the educated folks to look at them and go, how? They're uneducated, so how do they have such confidence with the scripture? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, he loves to take the people nobody's expecting to show how powerful he is, to show how good he is. Like, so don't ever say I'm shy, say I'm bold. Whoever you are, why are you bold? Because you're righteous. Why are you righteous? Because Jesus died for you and his blood makes you righteous. Your boldness doesn't come from your personality. If you are drawing on personality boldness, you're going to put people off. I guarantee it. If you are just naturally an abrasive person and you're depending on your personality to get you through, your personality will put people off. But if you'll say, my boldness doesn't come from my personality type, my boldness comes from the spirit of God within me, then it will be a good boldness. And when it comes time to be quiet and rest in his strength, it won't be quietness because you're afraid to talk. It's quietness because you're in quietness and trust is your strength. It's a quiet strength that's restrained just for just the right moment. That's somebody who's led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a great soul winner. I've been so encouraged this past uh, couple months, few months, because I've seen uh, from so many areas of the church just this passion for souls, just rising up. And I, I know the word organically is overused, but it's been organic. It's been grassroots, right? Like, I, I, I've just been so excited to see it. Like, you can't have a conversation too long without somebody getting fired up about sharing Jesus. And it really seems to be, I don't know if you've noticed, but it really is ramping up in these past few months, which as a pastor is great. And I get to fill because you just see what God's doing and you're rejoicing. And it's like people aren't waiting for an official church evangelism event. They're just getting it done. Right? Like there's some of you are going to the park today after service to go get some people saved. Awesome. You know, some of you are going to have conversations about what's going on at work. And all the people at work that you're telling about Jesus. I mean, like, it is so exciting. It's so exciting. And so we're seeing it rise up. And I just want to tell you that if you're starting to feel like, I, I need to tell people about this, but I don't know how. You have the greatest soul winner living in you. You have the lover of souls in you. You have the one that loves that person more than you do. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Let God speak through you. Let the Holy Spirit work through you. Just start walking and then start running and then start listening and then start talking. Watch what God can do. Amen. Would you stand with me today? God is good, isn't he?